Hi, this is Laura with Catholic Girl. I am reading over today's readings for the Holy Thursday, April 9th, 2020. This is the Mass of the Lord's Supper. Holy cow, guys. I got, I just kind of like sat down this morning and I was like, oh, I better, I better start looking into those readings. And I didn't think much about it until I like started looking. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a little bit more than what I, I, I should have planned better. <laughs> so uh, the very first reading today is from Exodus 12, uh, 1 through 14. And this is a beautiful little uh, reading from the book of Exodus. And this is the Lord talking to Moses and Aaron. And what it is, is it's a great for us who don't understand Jewish tradition. It's a great first reading to help us understand the Israelites Passover and how that brings them directly to God. So the Passover is equal to or brings them directly to God. And so we can find at least three readings that back up Exodus here. And those three readings are called, they're from the book of Torah. And when we look into the Old Testament, that's Numbers 15, verse 41, that we need to look at. So let's take a look there. And I, in fact, um, looked at Numbers 15, 39 through 41. Because I, I felt like as I was reading, I was like, man, the backstory here is super big. So... When we, when we are looking at Numbers 15, 39, 41, it gives us insight to what is happening in the book of Exodus in chapter 12. So it, what it here is saying in Numbers is that remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to go after wantingly, right? I think that is so true. We have such a hard time remembering the commandments, which I love just summarizing them. Love God above all things and then love your neighbor, right? Those are the basically what the Ten Commandments come down to. So in, in verse 40 of Numbers, uh, it says, remember and do all of my commandments and be holy to your God. And then finally, on verse 41, which is what we're, we are really linking back to Exodus, is I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God, right? And then when we read Exodus 20, which is not today's reading, but it's associated with it because, again, it's about Moses. And this is about Moses and the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. And here we hear in the very first, second verse, the second verse, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. All right. And then it breaks down the next couple of verses. It breaks them all down to the Ten Commandments. Now, we, I want to go back over that, especially for my RCIA kids. Remember the Ten Commandments. They're the first three, the very first three are about God and about loving God. So how can we love God is what the answer is here. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, that's God's with a lowercase g. And we have to remember when we're talking about 
other gods. We're talking about those things that become our focus that are greater than God with a capital G, right? So that can be money. That can be our ego. That can be our jobs. That can be criminal activity. That could be gambling. It could be so many things. Anything that takes your love, your interest, your thoughts away from God is what you're basically doing if you are putting something before God. So here, you shall have no other gods before me. So that means that you shall not put anything in front of God. So that means like on Sunday, you're tired, you've had a long week and you know, the weekend's just not long enough. Um, we put ourselves and when we choose not to go to church, we we're saying, Hey God, take a back seat. I'm first. I need my rest. I need my recovery time. I need time to worship myself here because, you know, I just don't get enough of me, God. And so that's what that, that comes down to on, on that very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Then when we talk about the second commandment, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. It is a lot, like I told you guys in class, it's a lot of, you know, don't use the Lord's name in vain. But it's also the, you know, obviously not the, uh, the obvious, you know, you know, don't say, oh my God, you know, not, not that. It's not so much that, but it's also don't, don't take his name when, you know, don't cite his name. Like, like when you're, and this is just an example, like sometimes when we're kids, we say, I swear to God, I didn't do it. Well, that is using the Lord's name in vain. Why are you calling God down into your trivial matters? Why are you inciting God into this? Don't use, don't provoke his name um, in these, this, these types of matter or these matters um, because you are associating God with, I want to say human indignities, you know, like don't involve, involve God in those, those matters, you know, like, especially when you're arguing over a toy or if you did or didn't do something, you don't, don't bring God down. And I think we often do. We, 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 we think by saying his name, it makes us more honest. And I'm going to tell you as a parent, the minute my kids tried to do that, that's when my eyeballs go to them and I'm like, ha, you must be the guilty party because why would you have to, why do you have to bring God into this? I mean, you need something to make you look more credible. <laughs> so remember not to use the Lord's name in vain. You know, when you provoke his name, when you say his name, you want it to be authentic. You want it to be about him and for your love for him. You know, it's, it's that kind of use that you can use his name. Otherwise, outside of that, you, this is breaking commandments because you're just using it to better yourself by saying, oh, look, God's on my side. Um, you're also saying it in a, when you use it like, oh my God, when you, when you say that, you could totally see I'm from the 80s. But when people would say those or OMG, they're really saying it, that name as a, almost like a dirty word right? It's not a, it's not a good use of the word God. So then the third thing about how you can love God better, that the commandments teach you, and that in today's reading, we're supposed to really uphold um, the teachings or God's commandments is the third one, which is remember the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day. I think that is a day that God has set aside 
for you to come in so that he can love you. And I think that's the, the most important part. It's a day you set aside to come and visit him. You give him your almsgiving. You give him your, your sins. You give him your, your, all of your failings. But at the same time, you lay down your gifts for him. You know, you, you lay down, here's where I have received you in my life. And here's where it bore fruit. And here I am giving that back to you. Thank you. And we're going to see that later on today. We have, a, we have a reading coming up that's going to definitely help us with that. So then we have the rest of the, the Ten Commandments, um, 4 through 10. And all 4 through 10, can you imagine? Three, four, five, six, seven, seven commandments. You can tell I don't do very well with math, right? The, the next, God gives us seven commandments, three commandments on how we can love him better and how we can make him the center of our lives and seven commandments on how we can behave better towards our neighbor. Amazing. We need seven commandments there. Jesus summarized it really quick. Love thy neighbor. Love thy neighbor. So simple. And, and I, I feel like the seven commandments, here, let me write it out for you. Apparently you need it all written out. And, and the seven commandments are super quick. How can, honor your mother and father. That is to say, honor authority. Shall not kill. Hey, that's a given one. Don't kill your neighbor. Um, shall not commit adultery. Hey, don't cheat on your husband. Don't, don't, don't do that. That's a naughty. Shall not steal. Hey, it's not really good neighborly action if you're taken from somebody and that and that's you know stealing their ideas you know stealing stealing their day you know how many people how many times in your day have you uh, somebody came in and and you stole their happiness right you know they came in they were happy and you weren't and you just made sure that they were unhappy the rest of the day by taking their happiness that's a, that's stealing thou shall not lie you know, gossiping is a form of lying. You know, you, you take a little bit of truth here and you make it a deceitful question or a deceitful answer. And, and there you go. There's your lie. Um, and then nine, thou shalt not covet, you know, uh, the neighbor's wife. <laughs> that, and, and then and 10, thou shalt not cover the neighbor's goods. You know, stop being envious and jealous is really what that is saying. If you want to be a good neighbor, don't be envious. Don't be jealous of your neighbor, right? Don't kill your neighbor. Don't steal from your neighbor. Don't, don't, you know, trick his wife or husband into having sexual relationships with you. Be respectful to one another. Be respectful to one another. You know, honor them. Honor one another, you know? I, I think those seven things are beautiful, but like I've told you guys, it's just a summary of how you can love your neighbor better. And then also the, the third reading that I want to get into is from Deuteronomy 26, verse 6 through 10. And here is a recount of how God rescued the Israelites. So we have the Egyptians um, threatened threaten them. They treated them, treated the Israelites harshly. They afflicted them with pain. They put them in what they called hard bondage. I mean, they were literally, you know, chained and handcuffed 
to doing whatever they needed them to do. Um, then you hear in Deuteronomy that they cried out to the Lord. The Israelites cried out to the Lord. Then the Lord heard them and saw their affliction, saw their toil, saw their oppression. And then in verse nine, we verse eight, you hear Lord brought Lord. The Lord brought us out of Egypt where with a mighty hand where he outstretched his arms and he brought terror and wonders and signs to them. If there was ever proof that God existed and if he just performed some miraculous deed, oh, it would just change me. Is this is that this is that example is that God did do those things. He did provide miraculous signs, but it didn't change the hearts of man. We continue to fall into slavery, <clears throat> even though we were given these wondrous signs, these wondrous deeds, these miraculous things, things that were even terrifying, right? Because he was all powerful, right? And then in verse 9 of Deuteronomy you, uh, 26, you hear God brought us into this place. He gave us a land. He filled it with flowing milk and honey. And in verse 10, most importantly, behold, I bring, uh, behold, now I bring fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have gave me. You shall set it down before the Lord, your God, and worship before the Lord, your God. This is saying in verse uh, 10 of Deuteronomy 26, that God has given us lots of gifts, gifts that we need to return to him. We need to be so full of gratitude that we have no problem giving it back to God. Like, thank you, Lord. Here's the fruit that I bore through the gift you gave me. You gave me. So when we're reading Exodus 12, today in the first reading, we hear throughout its telling of a great community, all right? And so God is pulling this community together. And I know everybody probably rolls their eyes when I start talking about CrossFit, but that's like my favorite subject besides religion. And at CrossFit, at my gym, what one of the things that the gym is able to do is pull a community of people together that have shared likes and shared interests, right? And they do it by creating a ritual that we all take part in, right? And we all share in. And because we all come together at a certain time in a certain place and we do this certain thing all together, meaning we all do the same thing, it creates a community. We begin to talk about it amongst each other. In fact, any CrossFitter, well, you just start, start talking about the wad of the day and oh my gosh, they will just start launching into a huge conversation. It unites the two people together instantly. So when, let's go back to Exodus. When we're listening to this, this, this reading today from the Exodus 12, what we're hearing is that we're hearing this story being told 
that creates, that God creates, because this is God's commandment, that the Israelites do this once, once a year. So here, the community of Israel, this is God speaking. He says, on the 10th of this month, every one of your families must procure, right? So then it goes on, it tells them, how to get the lamb, how to make the food, how it should be, what type of lamb it should be, how it should have no blemishes, how it should um, be slaughtered, how it should be taken care of. You shall keep it until the 14th day. It even gives you like a certain amount of time. This is a monthly thing. And then with the whole assembly of the Israel's present, it shall be slaughtered during the evening twilight. Right. And it just continues telling them. It even tells them what to do with the blood and apply it to your doorstep. You know, so evil can pass over it. Right. It's something I want you to remember. So here we have these set instructions for a ritual ceremony. And it was created that it would include the whole community at a set time with a prescribed, um, uh, prescribed, uh, actions and prayers being taken place. So it's kind of interesting, right? When we look at our mass, the present mass that we have today, the mass that, that Jesus gave us, we have to remember that this was first celebrated in the Old Testament with the Israelites hundreds of years before Christ. And we see the importance of celebrating together as a community at a set time with prescribed actions and prayers, right? When I talked to you guys about the mass, when I went through the mass, this is identical. The mass is identical to the Passover in the idea that we come together as a community, as a whole community, we all come together and we come together at a set time with prescribed actions and prayer. So look how the Old Testament is talking to the New Testament and the New Testament's talking to the Old Testament here. Passover is creed, story, ritual, and it's created to remember God's actions of deliverance. We can say the same thing for the Mass. In particular, the Liturgy of the Word and the Liturgy of the Eucharist. We see that there is the, the readings. Then we move to the Eucharist, right? And all of this... Every little part we do, every little thing we say is in remembrance of what God gave to us to deliver us from our sins, right? So that's the new mass that we're going to see develop here. At the heart of the Passover story and the ritual of, of its meal, it describes in detail the time of year, the actions, the food, and how significant for the coming generations will, who will celebrate it as a perpetual institution. Every, 
ever after the month of the Passover is to be the beginning of the liturgical year. In fact, the directions for the meal should be should sound so much like the instructions for the liturgical uh, liturgical celebration. People are to gather, prepare everything for the meal, eat and dress in a certain way, and keep the feast as a memorial celebration. All who gather for the meal are to share in the lamb procured ahead of time. It must have no blemish since it is set aside as a sacrifice to God. Applying the blood of the lamb to the doorstops or doorposts may be an adaption of an ancient pastoral practice of spreading the blood of the lamb to ward off evil. Whatever the origin, the blood attains a new meaning on this night. The Lord will pass over any house marked with the blood of the lamb, initiating the beginning of the Lord bringing them out of Egypt. That is the first reading. And there's so much there that you could just keep peeling back the layers. But what I want you to really see in the first reading is A, what the Passover is and the importance of community, community. And for my RCIA kids, this is the community you are joining and, and, and the symbolism that you see in mass, the traditions you hear in mass, either orally or written, are significant because it brings us together as a whole community at a set time, doing a prescribed action and prayers set down by Christ himself. That, that is what I want you to remember from today's readings. Now, in the second reading today, uh, we have Paul, and Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Now, this is the oldest account of the Last Supper, all right? And it's, this account is, um, and it's an oldest key written account of the Last Supper. So this is written about 12 years after the Last Supper, and it's written by Paul. And he's writing to them. Now, Paul learned of the traditions of Christ. Because remember, he wasn't present. He wasn't one of the disciples. He sat at the foot of a disciple. Paul learned the traditions orally. And he passes it on through living tradition. Rooted in Jesus' own actions on the night he was betrayed. Now, Jesus binds the community through a new covenant of his blood, right? So this, this action that Paul is talking about is replacing the Passover that we, we heard about in Exodus, all right? Because it is a new memorial. Jesus' self-gift is, is present at each ceremony of the Lord's Supper, which is at Mass. This is the Eucharist. Right. Some key things I want to point out when Paul says this is my body that is for you. Let's look at the word you. You is not just the disciples that Jesus was talking to. You is <laughs> is. I want to say you again, but the word you embraces all of us 
who gather in remembrance of Jesus. Now the next line here in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 26 is do this in remembrance of me. The word do. Now this word do only appears here in Paul's writing and in Luke's writing. Now when we hear the word do, it means to keep doing this not as a one-time action, but as a continued action. So this is our key point we make as Catholics. This is where we kind of diverge from other, other groups, um, uh, other Christian groups. And that is that we believe that we do this in a continuance. All right. So it's, it happens again and again. It means to keep on doing this, not a one-time thing. It is a continued action, an action that must take place. So that we remember and we embrace Jesus. Because this is the new covenant of his blood. This is the new memorial, right? Of Jesus' self-gift to the, to the Mass, right? Okay. So then it brings us to the Gospel readings. And in today's Gospel readings from John, which... First person, totally first person. <laughs> He's been here since the very beginning. He walked with John the Baptist. He met up with Jesus. He brought most of the disciples to Jesus. He walked beside Jesus. Uh, he, he was the one who laid his head on Jesus's chest and rested there. Gosh, if there was one person who understood the meaning of love, and really gathered what Jesus was saying about love your neighbor, love God, it's John. John is there. He takes that love right up to the cross. He stands there loving Christ, never abandoning him, never blinking, never faltering in his steps. He stands there at the foot of the cross and receives Jesus's mother as his own mother. And by the way, John's mother was right beside Mary, you know, she was there too. John's own mother was there and had been supporting John the whole way, just as Mary supported Jesus. It's, it's really fascinating. But here's good old John, and he's writing to us today in the gospel, and he has, he has a very different look when we look at the Last Supper. He looks at it and he says, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come. Now, hour here is saying that Jesus knew that he was going to pass from this world to his father. He knows that he came from God and he must return to God. We hear that. As he says, he loved his own in the world and he loved them to the end. So if you knew you were going to die, which how great would that be if you knew? Because then you could like really, you know, step up your game in salvation. You could like, you know, correct your behavior. You could, you could say, you know, you could give forgiveness, ask for forgiveness. <laughs> You could get your affairs all in order. 
How great would that be to know when you're going to die? Because I think you would do the same thing that Jesus does here. Jesus loved so greatly that he gave us the, the deepest kind of love that there is. That self-sacrifice. He loved us to the end and beyond. He gave us this, this deeper uh, possibility for a future. He, he, he loved us so much. He, he saw to it that we would be with him again. We, we see that this whole Last Supper, or this whole scene before the Last Supper, uh, before the Passover meal, you see that Jesus is a model of how we should follow. And that is to be a servant to our neighbor. You know, I, I, I have, I'm going to be honest, I've never invited my neighbor into my house and said, hey, let me wash your feet. <laughs> I've never done that, and I should. It should be a very humbling practice to do. Come on in. We're going to have nil, you know, have some supper and some dessert. But before we begin, can I wash your feet? Let me wash your feet for you, right? It's a beautiful, very beautiful thing that Jesus does here. Now, washing the feet, you have to understand back then they wore sandals and they weren't sandals like today. They didn't have this hard sole. It was, it was just, you know, leather. It wasn't hard like ours. It was, it was gross. They had dirty feet. Even if they were washed from head to toe, their feet would always get dirty. So washing their feet is very symbolic. It's a symbolism of, of uh, respect. It's a symbolism of preparing for for something. And here we know that Jesus is preparing his disciples for the hour that is to come. You mean the hour where Jesus is going to leave them. And Jesus takes on the role of a servant and he he's he's motivated by love. And that's how we should be when we are serving God, when we are serving our neighbors. We need to be motivated by love. I recently had an employee say, what's in it for me, Aura? And I, I think the answer is, what's in it for you? <laughs> the answer is love. You know, I want, I want you to, you know, continue having a job and I want you to continue being here. I'm offering this to you out of love, out of respect for you. And in return, I hope that you can offer me respect um, and love by doing your job well and safely, right? So here, Jesus is telling, talking to Peter and he's saying, give me your feet. I'm going to wash them for you. And he's motivated out of love. He knows Peter is going to deny him three times and he's motivated. He serves Jesus, even though he, Jesus knows it, that Peter's going to reject him. He serves him anyways, right? And that's a model we can learn from. Yes, there, we are going to be rejected. Our love is going to be rejected. Our efforts to serve our neighbor is going to be rejected. But we have to be motivated by love and we have to do it even, even though we, there won't be any grand reward for it. Even, even at the risk of being rejected, we do our actions anyway. 
I always think back to this really awful blizzardy day that we had here in Garden City. It was like typical Garden City weather. It woke up that morning, it was sunny. By mid-morning, it was like this like wet drizzle. And then by lunch, it was like big, fat, huge snowflakes with this horrific side wind, you know, where it comes across <laughs> right to left, not up and down, <laughs> or not up to down. It just, just comes straight across to you with that cold north wind. And I went to lunch with my father, and on the way back from lunch, it was like a winter wonderland occurred. When I went to lunch, there was grass, and you could see the ground, and there was no accumulation. After lunch, an hour later, it was straight accumulation. You couldn't see the grass. It was clearly stacking up. It was amazing how fast it got cold, how fast the snow stuck to the ground. And my dad was driving us back to the shop to go back to work. And I saw a young man on the side of the road. And he had, he looked like he, he looked like he set off that day and didn't take his coat. He had shorts on. Uh, he was clearly cold. He had his shirt, his arms inside of his shirt. He was trying his best to trudge uh, through this, this mounting snow that we had. And, he, you know, of course, the, the ground underneath was a little muddy. And so he wasn't making it very fast through the, through the field. And... Uh, I thought, oh my gosh, how miserable he is. And in my mind, I, I wanted to serve him. You know, if only he had a coat, if he only had something to keep him warm, he could go further on his journey. Um, and I got to the shop and everybody got out of the pickup. And I thought to myself, I sat there for just a second and I thought to myself, well, I could give him my coat. I have a coat. I don't need it. I happen to have quite a few coats. Uh, I, I, I could give him my coat. And in my mind, I thought, what if he rejected my coat? And I was foolish for running all the way back to him and giving him a girl coat, by the way, a female coat. Um, what if he rejected it? And that my efforts would have been worthless. And I drove out of the driveway and everybody looked at me funny because it's horrible weather and I don't drive well on ice and snow. And I went back down the road. I didn't tell anybody what I was doing in case I chickened out. And I went and I found him. He was still walking along the same alley. He was trying really hard. The snow was clearly hitting him square in the face. And I, I looked like I was stalking him. <laughs> I kind of came up really slow and I thought, well, is it safe for me to stop on the side of the road? What if I cause an accident because I'm stopping here? And so I went down to the end of the block where he would be meeting me at and I got out and I got the coat out and I, I took a deep breath and I ran it up to him. And because I was afraid of him rejecting me, I held, held out the coat. And I said, I think you need this. And I, he reached for it with a funny face, like, what are you doing, woman? And he took the coat. And before he could say anything to me, I ran away because I was so afraid that he was going to reject the coat. But at the end of the day, 
it was worth it. I ran back to my vehicle. I got back in my vehicle. I went around the block and I looked up the street to where he was and he had the coat on. I will never know what he thought needed or even if it was like he probably like walked two feet and was like, why did she do that? <laughs> you know, I served my neighbor at the risk of being rejected. And I think that's the, the point of this gospel reading is that he's, he's being a model not only for his disciples, but also for us, for us to be motivated by love to work for our neighbors out of love at the risk of being rejected. And the same is true for God. He wants us to do that. He wants us to love God and he wants us to be motivated, not for the fear of going to hell, not motivated in fear of being rejected or not forgiven, but motivated to do God's will out of love, right? He even if at the risk that maybe we will be deemed unworthy. I don't think that's going to happen, by the way, guys. <laughs> I think if you have pure heart, you're in. <laughs> you're, it's your motivation. What is your motivation in, in doing good works? What is your motivation in being a disciple of Christ? You know, and that is your motivation needs to be love, even at the risk of being rejected. The very last thing in, in the gospel is that he says it himself. I have given you a model to follow so that as I have done for you, you shall also do. Yes, he's talking to the disciples and every priest, pope and father after that, right? He's also talking to us that we need to learn to wash the feet, the feet, the foot of others, right? We need to humble ourselves to be a servant to our neighbor, neighbor, that we need to humble ourselves to being a servant to love. And love is not afraid of being rejected. Love is pure. And that's the point. It's that simple. That's simple. So that is today's readings. I hope that it was helpful and uh, helped you understand when they wash everybody's feet. I wish you guys could be there to see that. I'm, I'm sad that we're not all together to do this, but it's a beautiful mass. And next year, you'll get to be a part of it. I'm sure you'll be there to see the washing of the feet. I've always wanted to be one of the people who get their feet washed. I don't know why, <laughs> just because it looks so cool. But I... I hope that you get the idea of what the readings were today and it gives you better insight to what the Holy Thursday Mass is about. Um, and I, I hope that you come and you celebrate that in the future. And um, tonight, make sure you tune in to Father Jacob. Um, uh, he's on YouTube. You can also go to you know St. Mary's website and click on the Mass, like if you want it in Spanish or if you want it in English. Or like I said, go to Father Larry Richards. He's one of my favorite. Or Father Mike Schmitz. He's a good one. You can find all kinds of Catholic Masses out there celebrating the Holy Mass. Oh, don't forget, you know, Bishop Brungart. He has one also on, on YouTube and, and easily can be found on Facebook, easily. So I love you. I wish you the best today. I hope that you celebrate tonight the holy, um, 
Holy Thursday. And then tomorrow, April 10th, um, is Good Friday, and we're going to celebrate the, it sounds weird, put the word celebrate in with the Lord's Passion, but that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to remember the Lord's Passion tomorrow. So, or celebrate the Lord's Passion tomorrow. What, what heroic things he did. So, love to you all. Best. I'll see you tomorrow.